as we continue to pay attention to these words of Jesus, these final teachings, these last mandates, these last attempts to make things clear, to be ready for what was to happen, I invite you, if you'd like to, turn to John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. This is one of several chapters that after they've celebrated communion together, the first communion, there's so much that Jesus has to say. And I think most of us, if we receive a lot of information all at once, if somebody explains multiple steps to us, some of it at some point is going to be lost upon us. And so as you hear these words tonight, I would be encouraged, if I were you, uh, that the disciples even, these who have walked alongside of Jesus for quite some time, they're struggling to keep up and are wondering about what they can ask Jesus about. And so we might find ourselves in their place, especially knowing that we have the advantage of looking back over time in history, and they were hearing this all this for the first time before Jesus would be betrayed and crucified a story that we probably know well, and yet for them, still hadn't happened, and they weren't sure if it needed to happen or why it needed to happen. But here, Jesus, in John 16, verses 16 through 24, does offer his disciples some comfort. And yet, even within this comfort, there is this wondering. And there's a refrain about grief and joy throughout this text. I invite you to listen especially for those words. So as we read together, read John 16, verses 16 through 24. And after the reading of the word, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to respond, thanks be to God. Before we read God's word together, let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift of your word, that it may be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, in a place where the Holy Spirit moves deeply in our hearts, minds, and lives, that we may know you, that we may abide and dwell in your love, and that we may follow you faithfully through the grace and truth that we find in your word spoken to us today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. John 16, beginning at verse 16. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. 
but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's amazing, and once again comforting, that in three verses, we almost don't learn anything new. The disciples are like, what does he mean by this whole, you'll see me, then you won't, in a little while, and going to the Father? I don't know what he means by this, you'll see me, and then you won't, and going to the Father. And then Jesus is like, did you want to ask me about what I said, about a little while you'll see me, and then you won't, and going to the Father? It's almost a comical repetition that just leaves us all wondering and catching up to think, okay, what exactly does Jesus mean in and through all of this? What's he getting at? What's he saying? And there's layers to it. For us, if we know this story, the simple reading is really quite good. We can understand really, really well if we, under, if we know the events of what's about to happen, that on Thursday, Jesus had the Last Supper. He would be betrayed by Judas in the garden, crucified and died on Friday, buried, and then on Sunday, he'll rise again. And so from our perspective, it's really clear, cut and dry, what's about to happen. You won't see me for a little while because I will die. And then you will see me again. Or more specifically, Jesus says, I will see you again. This all makes sense. And it would be easy for us as readers today to think that all happens just so. But to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, to be witnesses to what will happen to Jesus, and more importantly, as we seek to be people who abide, who dwell in Christ, who is the true vine, to put ourselves in Jesus' place, knowing full well that he was there to take our place. There's a lot happening, and it is profoundly simple. It's straightforward and easy to get if you already know it, and really complicated in the way that Jesus explains all of this stuff with grief and joy. But if we pick up in verse 20, where Jesus says, very truly I tell you, and whenever Jesus says, very truly I tell you, it means pay attention because this is one of the gems. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. This doesn't sound good. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And the world is a complicated place. And one of the things that we can think through for the whole story of Holy Week and Easter weekend is that there are different people weeping and mourning and grieving and celebrating and rejoicing at the same point in time, depending on what crowd you're a part of, the disciples are going to be grieving, weeping, and mourning, while the world, the crowd, will rejoice. At the healing of Lazarus, there is a shift from those who were weeping over that which was dead 
to those who are overjoyed at new life. But then the Pharisees had much grief, much grief over this crowd that is now following Jesus. Their grief over the resurrection of Lazarus will turn to much joy when Jesus is crucified. When the angry mobs are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, there will be some angst for the Roman soldiers and officers keeping order within the city, wondering, how do we manage this? And in the few days to come, how do we control public opinion of all these events? How do we keep this group happy without upsetting this group too much and making things worse? But for Jesus and his disciples, secluded away from the crowd that escorted him in, shouting, Hosanna, God save us, with palms waving, away from the reach of the Pharisees who are grief-stricken right now in how they can get at Jesus, away from the mobs that will soon be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, safe and secure from any Roman centurions and their soldiers who would be patrolling the town, Jesus warns the disciples, you will weep while the world rejoices. When everyone else around you is celebrating, you're going to be crying. This joy and grief back and forth. But one of the things about all those cycles of joy and grief is that they're all very temporary. They're all very short-lived. But the deeper part that Jesus is getting to is that of all of these short exchanges between who's grieving and who's full of joy, the back and forth throughout life that we continue to experience, Jesus is laying the foundational understanding for the joy that will be permanent through the grief of the cross that happens once and for all, a one and done. So they will weep while the world rejoices, and they will rejoice while others in the world will soon be weeping. You will grieve, Jesus says, but your grief will turn to joy. Your grief will turn to joy. This echoes all the way back to the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But, but there's something bigger happening here. Your grief will turn to joy. It will become something different. And not just eclipsed. Not, not just overlooked. We can experience this if we had maybe kind of a hard week, but then at least one good thing happens that we can forget about what had gone on. The grief of the cross doesn't just go away, but it gets transformed into true joy. It's, not, it's something bigger and more different and significantly more powerful than a team who maybe had a few bad losses. And then you hope for that one good win that will make your losses kind of evaporate from your memory, that they'll be eclipsed by something better. But it doesn't transform the losses into wins. And what Jesus is laying out for us in all of his teaching, in all of these last moments, in the meaning of the Last Supper and all of it, is that this grief is the transformation point into the joy that doesn't cycle back and forth, but is permanent and cannot be taken away. It will be transformed. That The cross is the gateway to this permanent joy. And not just joy as in more of a 
lighthearted, oh, I'm feeling happy about this, that, or the other today, but a joy that endures even in the midst of suffering because the suffering is transformed into something different. Jesus speaks of a joy that is permanent, that will be complete, and that no one can take away from us. This sounds like compelling joy. And I think the disciples can pick up that Jesus is talking about something pretty big, pretty deep here, which makes it harder to understand, harder to wonder, am I getting it right? We today, as the Christian church has been doing for thousands of years, take today to remember that there would be much grief experienced, that Jesus would die on the cross for us, that he would suffer for our sins, that he would be separated from his disciples and would cry out in anguish of being separated, forsaken by God the Father. That all of this grief, while the world rejoiced, would happen. But that grief would be turned to joy. It would be quite literally, as Jesus uses the analogy, it would be birthed into something different. Now is your time of grief, says Jesus. Now is your time of grief. It's like anticipating a loss. It's struggling and wrestling with that which you know is going to be gone soon. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, says Jesus. Now there's something poetic here that's worth us holding on to. And it's something that Gospel of John records really, really well for us. There's something poetic about how Jesus says, you won't see me, and then I will see you again. There's two different words for seeing that get used, and they're getting used differently and at different points in time throughout the Gospel of John. When Jesus says earlier in our text that, well, in a little while you will see me no more, and then you will see me, he's, talking about a, he's using a word that can kind of be, well, you won't see me. I'll be gone for a little while. But then you'll see me again. You could almost get the idea, if you believe in an afterlife, that you won't see me, but I'll see you kind of in an over, over, watching over you kind of way. That maybe the disciples could imagine that if Jesus would die, he would go to heaven and watch over them from there. And this would be maybe some comfort. But it would still be an end. It would be something so finite, something such a great loss. But they could maybe imagine that if Jesus would die and they would see him no longer, that he would still see them. He would watch over them. But then Jesus changes what he says at that punctuated point in verse 22. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. I will see you again. Not, not just that you'll see me again, but I will see you again, but not in the watching over you kind of way, but more like I will put eyes on you again. Not that I will just be in heaven to watch over you, but this is a, a foreshadowing of the resurrection. I will see you with my very real, physical, bodied flesh and blood eyes again. I will see you again. You will see me no more for a time, then I will put eyes on you again. Not just from a distance, not just with a hope that you, maybe hope that you are holding on to, 
but that in flesh and blood I will be back in all of my fullness. This is a picture of the resurrection hope. And if you read the rest of the Gospel of John, the disciples are not on board with the program yet. And I don't think really any of us would be either to understand all that Jesus means. But I wonder if that came back to them after Jesus died, thinking Jesus said he'd put eyes on us again. He'd see us again with his eyes, not in this distant way, but up close and personal. There's two different types of seeing. And Jesus seemed very specific about how he would see them again. Because in his death of his physical body and in his resurrection, his true, full, physical resurrection, Jesus comes back and conquers death in doing so. And when Jesus is going to put eyes on the disciples again, then, in verse 22, they will rejoice. And no one will take away that joy. That at that point, we've stepped beyond the back and forths of life. The things that win some, you lose some. You make some good decisions. You make some decisions that don't go so well. You have good days. You have bad days. You get it right. You don't get it right. But this is something more foundational. That this is the once and forever grief turned to joy that no one can take away the death and resurrection of Christ that all will be completed and fulfilled in this moment. No one will take that joy away. That grief will be a gateway to the joy that will endure. The joy that's not just the emotion of happiness, but the joy that abides in our heart when we abide in Christ. Circumstances cannot take it away. Life changes cannot make it evaporate or disappear, but it is a joy that endures. Jesus' death will be very, very real and very harsh and difficult to watch and endure for those that even stayed close enough. His death will be real, and their pain will be real. Their confusion and loss and sense of being distraught will be real. Jesus knew all of that to be true for his disciples then, and he knows that for us today too. That our moments of death and pain and loss and confusion and bitterness and hurt are very, very real. And yet there will be a joy that cannot be taken away in any of it. Because this will be resurrection joy. That the meaning of life and death will be unlocked in Jesus dying for all, that we can have eternal life. Jesus says your joy will be complete, this ever-flowing and permanent type of joy. There's a lot that was said. And if you read the rest of the Gospel of John, a lot more that Jesus would say. But maybe that's enough for us to chew on for now the once and forever death and resurrection of Christ that meets all of our grief, all of our sadness, all of our loss, confusion, with the ever-permanent joy. We remember it in song. We'll remember it on Easter Sunday. We'll remember it through communion. We celebrated it through baptism just this past Sunday. All of this for us, that we would dwell and abide in Christ and know true and full resurrection hope.
So as we go from this place, in a little bit, we'll hold on to these palms. And the rest of them are in the back, and you can take one on your way out. Some people were excited to take them on their way in. If you really want one and there's no more on the pillar, just grab one off the floor. But remember, if you hold on to them, and you look at them, that for one, they're looking pretty sad. I think Jesus understands the moments that we're sad. You know that those palm branches at this point are dying. They're disconnected. They're going to die on their own. I would encourage you, over these next few days leading up to Easter, to uh, take a palm branch or share it with different members and take a leaf off of one of them. Hold on to it. Put it somewhere where you will see it often. And it will wither. Maybe you hold on to it as a reminder of a prayer, a prayer request that you want to hold before God for this entire Easter weekend. Or maybe it's just that simple reminder that after tonight, after Jesus prayed in the garden, that he would be betrayed and he would be sent to his death. And the withering of that palm leaf will remind you that Christ died for you. So whether it be a token of prayer to hold on to, whether it be a reminder of death, or whether it just be a reminder of Christ's holy empathy for us, that those palms are going to be looking pretty sad. And if we were the disciples watching Jesus be turned over to be crucified, we also would be pretty sad. But the hosannas that were shouted were maybe a hope for a short-lived victory but that all is being fulfilled, that Jesus would die for us in that permanent and forever victory. Hosanna meaning God save us. And he would save us through his death on the cross. This is our hope, and this is our joy that cannot be taken away, and that is made complete only through Christ, the true and perfect Lamb. Amen. Jesus, we come to you with our prayers, with our wants, and even with these words freshly reminded into our hearts that we ask in your name and that you give unto your glory when we ask. God, we come to you with all of this, with the whole Easter story before us, mindful of your communion of saints that have passed on this good news, this gospel from generation to generation. Mindful that you know our grief, that you felt our grief, and that you carried the grief of the sin of the world upon your shoulders for us and for our salvation. But that that grief would turn to joy, a permanent and forever joy, through your never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. So as we take our palms, as we remember Hosanna, God save us. We watch them wither. We watch their death. We remember your death for us. Your death that we might have life if we abide in you. That we live our lives not as severed palm branches set to wither, but as vines that dwell and abide in you. That we can bear good fruit in this world to your glory and to share your story, Jesus. In your holy name we pray.